Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at PureMTGO.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MTGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 423rd episode of Constructed Chrism. I am your host, Mason, and I'm joined by one co-host today, Spencer. Spencer, What's... your question for today. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Dragon Shield Blacks, Dragon Shield Greens. Um, I... I really hate to answer this question because I was like a really hard Dragon Shield Purples guys for a long time. And I, I because of competitive REL rules and how many flip cards we get in standard these days and in magic, I think you just have to go with black. I have so many Dragon Shield black sleeve boxes in front of me. I bet you couldn't even guess how many. I bet it's seven. Dangerously close. Nine. Yeah, I, I I do think that, like, I honestly, I think that there is a real world. The, the thing is, is, like, I, we don't have to go too deep, deep into this. The flip cards have a real cost in competitive magic. And the problem is, is, like, competitive players would rather just buy black sleeves than they would switch in and out cards. And I, I don't think that's a problem other than... It just limits creativity. Um, I, I I know people like like myself. I have a whole box of stuff by me. I might be able to switch sleeves now, but I think if you're not buying boxes and boxes of cards and getting those tokens for free, like I I think that stores should just start selling like hundred packs of the flip cards or like per set or whatever. I actually think that would be like especially if they do it for like really cheap. That actually might be really valuable. It probably depends on how many flip cards are. Anyways, that was a lot more than I thought we were going to get out of that one. Uh, but <laughs> let's move on uh, to the always improving segment today. We are going to be doing a standard reaction episode. It is week one of standard. There was a lot of stuff going on this past week. We're going to go over every 5-0 from the standard challenge, the standard results. So get excited for that. But first, we do need to do always improving. It is the main point of the show. And Spencer, you're up first. I... I'm a pretty big believer in always improving being more than just me on this podcast and magic. Um, to the point where I actually bring it up in every job interview. Um, and I actually, next week, will be starting a new job with... Uh, it, it's basically my dream job. Um, I feel really lucky. I'm going to cry. I didn't think I was going to cry. Um, which is weird, Mason, because I always cry. But I... I, I you know, I talked about how, uh, I don't know, it was like episode 400, I talked about what Thumbtack did for me as far as like a job and how it impacted the podcast. Um, and it served me really well. Um, so for those who don't know, for the last, I don't know how many months, it's been a long time for this job interview. I've missed episodes. I've been working on 
documents to like for the interviews, stuff like that. And I am really proud to say that like this podcast got me to multiple final interviews for multiple jobs that I think that I would have been really happy in as I was looking to make a career shift. And the listeners came up, the identity of the podcast came up, and the always improving moment actually came from a mentor of mine in my career. And uh, I think that a lot of people underestimate the value of a mentor in the things that they care about. Um, in fact, I would say that magic actually is one of the things that taught me the value of that. And like having somebody, and Mason, you've had that with whether it was Trey, whether it was that you're, you know, I don't know if I was ever that for you. I feel like I was that for you at some points, but like, I, I think that having those people that you can bounce off of when you have a question and they'll give you your experience is really valuable. And one of the things that, um, it, the person that is in my new product mentor in my product role, um, actually was forced to pick somebody other than me because of experience. And he has told me like, dude, I wanted you, but it was, you know, we're a startup. Like we had to pick the person with more experience. We had to do these things. And he has been a huge part of my journey in this. And for me, the always improvement was to be myself. Um, he's like, Spencer, I loved your passion. I loved your ability to break down a problem. I loved your ability to use the things that you've done in one area and apply them to another. And what was really funny to me is I was like, almost all of this I learned either as a product manager or actually a magic. I, I, I really do think that my job and being a magic player have a lot of cross-function and I used it to um, get a life-changing job change this this last month. Um, so I, I've said it before, I offer uh, career coaching and I'd be happy to help anybody that wants it on this podcast, but it was, it was a hard two months <laughs> for this job interview, but Honestly, the people that have reached out to me on the show that have pushed me forward by telling me about, uh, it, there was a podcast session, I won't name them, but they were like, hey, every time I fill my ice tray, Spencer, I think about that always improving segment where you talked about how your new, year seg your new year's goal for your year was filling your ice tray. That it was as simple as you break the ice every time you're in front of your freezer, you put it in your, your ice bucket, you fill it up. And the dramatic increase that it made to your life. And I think that that is the thing in Always Improving that gets to be applied so many different ways. And the fact that they use it in their career, in their life, in their job, in their relationships. Um, this segment is really important to me uh, as a, I don't know, like a flag post of the podcast. And it, it really did change my life in such a meaningful way that I don't get to talk about on the show because of the era that we're in and I don't know, like economics, but I, I promise you that if you have sent me a message about this, you helped me a lot. So thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. That sort of stuff is super important. It is why, you know, the start of the show, we say it's the main point of the show. Uh, my always improving moment uh, comes from the last week. And that was really just, getting in and exploring a bunch of things in standard um 
like I one of the things that happens is every time a set comes out, um, for specifically rotation, the most often I will just play a bunch of magic with a bunch of different decks just to try and get the most amount of feel for cards and the most amount of feel for new cards that have the least amount of pressure kind of on them in a lot of way uh, from like existing factors, kind of like, you know, when a new card comes out and there's things like Goldspan Dragon that have been figured out and are refined in the ladder, it sometimes makes the experience of learning and doing these sort of things a little awkward, figuring out like what their real strengths are. And you have to do a lot of gleaning and insight into that sort of thing. And uh, just did a bunch of, and it's a lot easier, sorry, when that stuff isn't as established, right? So like even just the difference between playing on Arena Thursday and Friday versus Saturday and Sunday, you can really see that kind of stuff happen as information starts to disseminate throughout the community. So that's why I was improving. It was really checking, exploring, and looking at a lot of different things and trying to figure out like, oh, like, are these things good? Why are these things good? Why is this better than I thought it was vice versa? You know, uh, that's kind of my always improving moment from this past week. I find I just trapped my mic in front of me, which was really yeah. funny. <laughs> I want to call that out that I'm like using a different mic and I'm still have the same habits. I actually, uh, we'll dive into this in this episode, but I actually found the, I underestimated some cards in standard that were already good. And I'm really excited to talk about it. Well, let's do our housekeeping stuff first and then we can hop right into that. Spencer. So Spencer, what do we have on the housekeeping? Yeah, just a quick reminder about GG Lehigh. It is the spon- the main sponsor of this podcast. We obviously have others, but I wanted to quickly just talk about the impact that GG Lehigh has had on the YouTube channel, on us as, I don't know, just our magicals. Like for me, my main magicals is being a great commentator, being a great podcaster and stuff. And, and GG Lehigh supports us across the board. Um, you know, when, when I was talking to them about like, what we wanted from a sponsor to help Mason and Abe instantly. Yes. When I made offers about a new event type for them instantly. Yes. When, uh, I asked about doing coverage for their one case instantly. Yes. And I think that we can see the impact of that type of relationship just from the thousands of views that we've gotten on their one K plus videos on our YouTube channel and allowing them allowing us to really support them in that way. Um, and also just seeing the the listeners use the codes. Um, we, we have direct visibility into how often you, the listener are supporting our sponsor through what we're telling you. And this month specifically has been one of pretty big growth. Um, I can see return orders. I can see all these things. Those who have ordered from Gigi Lehigh, whether they use that code, right? The and they've gone to store.gglehigh.com. They've come back. Um, I think there's a reason. I think that as if you're a U.S. Uh, listener, you should check it out. And also, they they support us in our endeavors, and that means a lot to me as a person that's trying to carve out their space in magic content. I don't know, Mason. Like it. I have felt extreme love back from Gigi Lehigh. Yeah, for sure. They've definitely helped support a lot of things that you wanted to do and get done on the show and a lot of things that we wanted to do when it comes to like the opens and stuff like that too. So uh, it, it's been great so far having them as a sponsor. Additionally, this week we will be doing our bi-monthly podcast meeting. We do it about every two months. 
And as part of that, we will be announcing the next standard. Well, the next open, but it will be standard. Uh, I think I think one of the things that we've decided as a team and that I'll just announce on the show is that our format for our opens will align with the uh, regional qualifier, the regional championship. We we believe pretty strongly that that's the best way to support competitive magic. And for me, as like a standard player, I'm really excited for this Mason. Um, I also just think that there's a ton of opportunity for people to, um, you know, there's so many people that get to play because it's arena and that that's the way that they engage in magic that maybe wasn't available to them in a couple of events that we've tried to run. And I don't know, man, like I'm, I'm super soaked for this one. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, you know, these events are always really cool. It's really exciting to see people come out and play in them and having, you know, standard get some attention, especially when uh, it is going to, you know, be tying into the RC. So it'll be kind of cool to see when people are actually trying in standard what will happen. And it's going to be very interesting. There's a lot more light on standard than there has been since basically the MPL um, starting up near the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, standard kind of went to the wayside. So it's going to be cool to see what happens. Um, we do, before we get into the main topic, have our Patreon shout out on the episode. Uh, if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash ccmtg. And you can support the show. It will always be free. But if you want to get a little something extra out of the show, you can go and there. And one of the benefits is you get a shout out when you join. So Yeoman5, thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon, bud. It's good to have you there. You also get to ask Patreon questions, which we cover at the end of the show. But let's hop right into Standard, because if I know Yeoman, he doesn't want us to talk about him. He wants us to talk about Standard. And we have a lot to talk about. Rotation just happened, so if you're newer to Standard and newer maybe to getting back into it, uh, this is the time of the year where the four sets from two years ago left. So we lost Zendikar, Strixhaven, Kaldheim, and Forgotten Realms. Those are all now out of Standard. And Innistrad Forward are now in Standard. So all those sets are the ones that we have currently. And that has some huge shakeup, right? Spencer, like, losing cards like Goldspan Dragon, Asika's Chariot, Magma Opus, uh, uh, Expressive Iteration. These are format-defining cards. They're just gone. Yeah, I, I think I think you mentioned every card that I was going to mention other than uh, the green-green the 3-3 three, three wolf, uh, which I can't remember that on my head, but... Um, I, I think I think one of the things that was really interesting to me going into like brewing decks was kind of a couple losses. One was Goldspan Dragon. Um, that changes the format. I I, I think that I, I think it would be unfair to not say Goldspan Dragon and the Seekers Chariot were the literal two most important cards in the last standard. Um. Obviously, some cards got banned that maybe you could have considered, but I think that a lot of people maybe would have preferred that something like Chariot or Goldspun Dragon got banned. They were that format-defining. Um, expressive Iteration is one that seemed innocuous, but actually, in somebody that's tried to build blue-red decks, because blue-red control was like a Tier 2 deck for basically the entirety of Standard, at least... It, it's actually a pretty big loss. Um, for example, uh, just really quickly, anecdotally, like I was trying Blue Red Delver last night because of some cards in our set review, and 
not having straight up crazy card advantage that express iteration drops is pretty important. Um, so I, I actually your players realize that too when the ban happened about two months. Yeah, ago, it's true. Like wake up call where it's like, Lord, strategic planning is an impulse. You know, inversely, these are. But the thing is, is like you would think that impulse would solve a lot of these problems, but the value of the cards that you got from expressive iteration and the number of times that it was good on your curve, right? It was good to find a land plus a card. It was good to find two spells. It was, it just. Yeah, expressive iteration uh, is card advantage. Impulse is card selection. Right. And that's, I think, a pretty big thing for people who haven't played with Impulse before. Obviously, you have. You were there, you know, 20 years old when it came out. I, but, I never. I, wow. <laughs> that's but, just you know, not true. <laughs> but, uh, no, but for the newer kids, like, I think I think there has been a lot of thought. Like, oh, Impulse will just slide right in, right over expressive iteration. And while maybe, and sometimes it's very similar or even better because you get to see that extra card being down one card in the exchange is a huge difference. You know, like Spencer mentioned, with making just land drops, right? You play that thing on turn three, you want to hit your land drop. That's an impulse can do, but you're not up a card and you spent two mana to find the land, which is like a, that's a break the glass mode, right? Spencer, not a, like, I'm excited to do this. Mode. It, it's so funny. Cause uh, you know, I was Mason, you had a blue, blue one crazy card on your set review. Uh, I don't know if you remember what your pick two was here, but I have actually spent an inappropriate amount of time building around this card that is literally... I'm, I'm going to let you say the name. Uh, it is Goblin Goblin Electromancer combined... Oh, Haughty Jin. Yes, Haughty it's Jin. the Jin. I, I, I thought it was two in a blue. I, I got confused for a second. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, for what it's worth, like, Impulse with that card? Boosted. Like, what is happening? But that's actually not good enough because, like, the problems that all of these blue decks are going to run into if they're just playing a bunch of cantrips, which you would do with a Delver deck, is you lose out on card advantage. And, um, I don't know, I, I think that going into week one, the, the, like, there was a lot of thoughts around what what am I going to start out? We on the podcast talked about Planeswalkers, right? We talked. I think we talked about specifically three. We talked about Chandra, Liliana... And Wonder Ramper. I think we hit it out of the park there. I think that was actually the start of the format. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think anyone going to this format not expecting the most obviously powerful card to build around being the Wandering Emperor uh, was really just missing it. Like, that card has... In the same way that, like, Goldspan Dragon has defined the format, Wandering Emperor has kind of defined, like, what you can do and sort of the rules of engagement in a lot of ways. And it's just been very, very strong along with wedding announcement, I think is another big part of that. Those cards aren't mutually exclusive, but when you find decks that work really well together with them, like we've seen some Naya token deck that we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, and some Naya just pile decks. When those cards are together, you generate a lot of advantage over the opponent. And so I think that is a, a pretty obvious place. Let's move on. Let's move into talking about some of the actual results things. So, cause I think this is important and kind of ties in directly what you're saying here. We're going to go over every five Oh, for standard in this episode. Don't worry, there's only four of them. So we won't be here for an hour and a half only talking about deck lists. But first up, we have White Black, and it's kind of this aggressively mid-range vampire deck, actually. Um, it's you know, it only has one uh, uh I believe her name is Evelyn the Covetous. Covetous. Uh, but anyways, it, it has a lot of those cards. It plays uh Edgar as a way to kind of buff your other vampires. Can we, can we actually talk about why this deck gets to play Evelyn really quick? Because I think a lot of people think this is a Grixis card. But because it is actually 
in this deck it is two white black black. Um, I. But it's yeah. It's just black, white, black. It, well, it could it could also be that. Well, it doesn't have a a, a white color. Oh, am I misreading this? Yeah, it's it's a, it's, it's a gris, black. It's you're a right. Color. You're right. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. That's you're a good, good call. It's Thank you, sir. No um. Uh, we'll get into this in the challenge results. I think there's a reason that this deck, um, I don't know, kind of fell off. In the challenge results, the, but I think that it, as a level zero deck, it's asking some important questions. Uh, it has a lot of really good high-end creatures for the format. Edgar, mm -hmm. uh, the the white dragon spirit, Evelyn, um, and honestly, I was a hater, but I'll be honest that uh, is it Hanakra? How do you say that? Uh, Henrika. Henrika. Uh, Henrika. And then it plays Soren and Wandering Emperor. Uh, it gets to play a ton of great, uh, you know, different cards, whether it be... I think Cut Down is better than I even said it was on the podcast when I picked it as one of my cards. I think Pilfer also as a discard spell is actually better than... What's the one black one that Derek was playing in his white-black deck that uh, you got to turn into a Thoughtseize? Yeah, I I don't. Like, yeah, it was one of the cleave ones. Yeah, I I think Pilfer actually was a card that I did not realize was gonna be. It's funny, like those two mana discard spells. They always surprised me as like a two of in formats, or like even a four of in some types of like really mid rangey formats. I do I mean, have some other one that lets you sacrifice enchantments too. Yes, it's like yep. To wrestle, and I think that one actually might end up seeing some play over Pilfer if we see wedding announcement continue to go up. So, so that being said, of... Mason, there are no wedding announcements mm -hmm. in this list. I don't like this. That was I, a little interesting. I, I I think that that this deck is trying stuff, and that its base was so good. I mean, this is a Spencer deck, right? Like, this is a bunch of one ofs and two ofs and. Like, this is the type of stuff that I would do before I, like, landed on a bunch of three-ofs and four-ofs. And I, it's good, right? Like, I think white-black uh, has a place in the format. I, I'm kind of curious on your thoughts of white-black versus things like Esper or versus things like... I don't know. We'll, we'll get into this later in the show, but um, it, it's asking you questions, and the questions were so good that it got this 5-0, and I don't disagree with that. Like, I, the, I'm not questioning that part of this i'm questioning the where we ended up yeah i i think there's a, a lot of advantages to being a two-color deck uh, the biggest just being your mana is pretty smooth like white black has both caves of kolos and uh i am looking for the same right here but the Innistrad, the shattered sanctum yes thank you yeah, the, the innistrad cycle of lands and it's funny this deck actually just plays forward rafine tower anyways uh, I think just to be a duel, and I, I wonder if something like maybe Thran Portal is supposed to be in that spot instead. It's hard to know, too. Like, I assume uh, a lot of these five hours we're talking about, a lot of them happened before this Monday, which also means that services like Mana Traders are still rolling out. Sure, yeah, that's so, true, like, too. I, it's curious, like, okay, if you look at this deck, it actually is very low on rare cards from the new set. In fact, I, 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 unless I'm mistaken, the only rare cards in the new set are the lands, which are already released before. Right. And so this deck is actually mono all cards from the past standard, which I think is maybe part of the reason why this person played it. 
Um, but regardless, there are benefits of being just white black where having slightly better mana is pretty good and having an easier time consistently casting all your cards is good. Um, and you know, it isn't exactly one for one. And also I think generally people start from a place of playing more colors, not less. And I think it's pretty good to be typically in formats, especially looking to spike some trophies, get some tickets to be the more consistent and linear deck and kind of do your thing. And so that deck having better mana, easier time casting and stuff, maybe it's not as strong as the mid-range decks, but doesn't flounder as much. So One of the things that I like about this deck, we see uh, the card that we were talking about that we, we couldn't remember the name of is actually in the sideboard. It's Dreadfuge. Um, mm. And I actually do like the Pilfer, Duress, Dreadfuge. Like, you're interacting as... All, all of these cards, they're trying to take key spells, right? And I think that, like when you talk about playing a linear deck that's like it's focusing on i'm going to disrupt the things that i can't disrupt with the rest of my hand um while also you know going pretty hard in the paint this deck plays four intrepid adversary for example where like that is a modal spell in this deck really hard i think that that is also super interesting um even if i wouldn't end up where this person ended up in white black i do i do think that like the premise of the deck whether it's black white or whether it's esper will continue to be valuable yep uh next we have drix's mid-range with friend of the show andy awkward who also got a challenge top eight with this deck so we'll talk about it a little bit more later it's actually funny he had some pretty big differences i was looking at the two deck lists here uh but essentially this is very much like the Grixis Vampire deck from the last Pro Tour, a low-to-the-ground sort of Grixis deck, fighting on low resources, playing things like main deck Duress, Voltage Surge. Uh, the version that he had the 5-0 with actually plays Lightning Strike, which he ends up cutting later. It has those kind of cards, and then the new addition of Liliana of the Veil to the deck. Since it is such a low-curve, kind of use your cards more efficiently, a card like Liliana really helps this deck and really helps it kind of run the opponent out of resources and do its main game plan. So... This is our first, uh, you know, eyes of the prize when it comes to Liliana. The first time we get to talk about her. The last deck didn't even play her. What do you think about Liliana so far in the format? Because I know this was, I mean, that was the question, right? It's like, how good will Liliana be? How will things go? And obviously, we're only a couple days in. But I think we have some pretty good first impressions, would be my guess. I think Zoomers tricked me. I think this is top two standard Planeswalkers of all time. I think that it has completely changed Pioneer. I think that this is the best card in the set, and we're all stupid. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, not all stupid. Like everybody figured it out really quickly. But I, mm -hmm. I, I, I really like where. Do you want me to talk about the the five list, or do you want me to talk about the other list? Uh, you can talk about whichever. I I actually really like the changes that Andy ended up with on the challenge list, and I want to talk about why. He kept the same creature package. I think his creature package in both is four Blood Tide the Harvester, four Underdog, four Corpse Appraiser, two Evelyn. Andy, actually, I already know you're listening to this, so we'll do... Just message me. We'll do a deck tech on it. Um, I also really love... He, in, he cut Lightning Strike to, like increased the like he realized that it was a liliana format so he played more liliana but then also like went after it in a lot of ways in like okay well what's good against liliana well she's minusing and i have token makers like kato and soren that's really good and then additionally like i want to make sure that the things that i'm doing 
I don't know, like if I'm discounting cards, Soul Transfer seems really good. Uh, he had those in both, but I don't know. I, I feel like he really honed in on the Liliana aspect while cutting things like Lightning Strike. It was like, okay, well, I'm going to cut Lightning Strike for a, two more Planeswalkers, right? Is, I think that's literally all that happened. No, I guess Play With Fire is not on his other list. That became the fourth Volt Scourge. from being less yeah. low to the ground and more yeah. Yeah, he he went all in on like, okay, if I'm going to be Grixis and people are going to play things like Black Red, for what it's worth, we'll talk about it in the future. Like, he's like, okay, I'm the three-color mid-range deck and I'm going to lean into that. Um, and it, it's tough, man. Like, even even if you look at his, his we, we didn't talk about level zero yet, but like, I think we all thought like Esper, some Grixis vampire deck... And some mono red deck might be level zero, right? Or I, I think Naya was going to be. No, Naya, Naya and Gruel Agro were the other two that I was going to mention. So it's like, I, I think his 5 0 list cares a lot about a lot of that. So, for example, Mihook Massacre, a card that kind of fell out of favor in standard at the end of it, that mm-hmm. is like a pioneer staple. I think it sees modern play, like the card is boosted. Um, and I, I'm I'm happy to see that in these decks that like how do you how do you beat a deck like Grixis right you go wide right like you make it so that their one for one removal doesn't work and you have to have things like Mewhook Massacre and I don't know I I think that it, it, it's it has so many two for ones but your two for ones don't matter if like they're going so wide that it doesn't matter and it is. It is why historically Naya beats Junt, right? And Grixis is going to have the problem of like, okay, well, where do I fit into this? Um, you know, we see a lot of things that try to help with that, right? Uh, I think if we look at his his uh, league list, right, he's got Dragon's uh, War, Dragon War in the sideboard. He's got another Massacre in the sideboard. Uh, there's so much you can do, and the thing about Grixis in this format is it has Corpse Appraiser, it has Evelyn. Um, the blue cards have to make up for a lot of things where um, I can't remember the name of the Jund charm. Um, Riveteer's. Riveteer's charm, like, uh, as somebody that's like played a lot of standard, Riveteer's charm has actually been insane. Like, it, we talked about like how Blue Red had problems with card advantage. If you want to fix card advantage, Riveteer's Charm in a deck with, like, you know, uh, a bunch of treasure, uh, actually, like, you're you're done. Like, that's that's the card advantage you need. And Corpse Appraiser is a two-for-one. Evelyn is a little bit more than that. Liliana can be a two-for-one if you make it one, but it's kind of hard. So I, I really like what Andy did. I really like the changes from week to week. I, I expect this, I don't know, Mason, tell me if you think I'm wrong. I expect this to be better than Rakdos moving forward. Um, I'm not exactly sure, and it kind of depends on how other things break, too, because I think one thing that we're seeing, and this happens a lot of times in formats at the beginning, is the grindy good cards are very easy to figure out really quickly, right? Like, it's really easy to find the high things on rate, 
things like Liliana of the Veil, like obviously still a very strong card. Even if a lot of modern designs moved away from things that she kind of does, she's still really strong and she's a good reason to go to that direction. And there are a lot of other really strong cards with her. But other things like aggressive decks, um, combo control, those sort of things need a little bit more time. So it's hard for me to know right now because I think a lot of it matters on the texture of the other things going on. I think a lot of people just brought red black to kind of have better mana and sort of kind of do their thing can, more proactively. I was going to say, can we move on to Red Black? Because I want to talk about why I think what I think. So I actually want to talk about uh, the Naya deck real quick, just because we're going to talk about Red Black for like 20 minutes because of all the top eight stuff. Okay, the, that's fair. Second. No, 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 that's yeah. fair. Yeah, so you're going to have to, one second. I don't think there's too, too much to talk about when it comes to this, this Naya deck, because this Naya deck is very interesting compared to, I think, where a lot of people thought Naya might go at first. So this Naya deck is playing, its creatures are very interesting. It's Four-Spirited Companion, Four Sanctuary Warden and Four Titan of Industry. Sanctuary Warden, for those that don't know, is the double divine shield or the double shield counter angel from uh, Streets of New Capenna, a card that saw very, very good success in Limited, but has not seen any standard play. And then it has just like the Wandering Emperor, some revive, like reanimate spells, and then just a bunch of grindy cards. And it really is just sort of saying, like, hey, everyone wants to grind. I'm going to present these huge bodies that are really hard to answer. I'm going to have some two and three for ones for you, and I'm going to kind of just play my game. And while not the first place I thought to go with uh, Naya, does make a lot of sense with what we're seeing everyone else sort of doing in the format right now. I have two thoughts. Uh, the first is the Naya mana base that we see presented. It's got four uh, Jessamere Garden and four Cabaretti Courtyard. It is playing the full set, the full eight tap lands. And because of that, you actually see zero one drops in this version of the deck. I, this is something I talked about on the, the pick two set review. If other people are going to pick off mono red, if other people are going to pick off mono white, if other people are going to pick off, I mean, gruel aggro might be the only other one that like you care about this with, but like, fine, I will play eight tap lands. I will have perfect mana, and I will do exactly what Mason just said, where like I will outscale you. Uh, the other card that. Uh, in my limited testing that this deck plays four of that has been way better than I expected is actually Cathartic Pyre. Mm -hmm. What is happening with this card, dude? This, this card what, saw early play as like a two of. I think there was one... Pro, I, I think it took... there was a, It was a four of in the second place Pro Tour deck at the beginning of the last format. Um, yeah. But it is overperformed for me. This is like... It, it this is one of the best removal spells in standard so far for me. I it will change. Like removal spells go in and out of fashion. That's just how removal works. But the first thing that I thought of when I saw this was four wandering emperor, four uh, uh, pyre, and four titan of industry made a lot of sense. Um, one of the things that Naya has going for it, um, and I think that we see that in the challenges. I think there was a tokens version in the top 16 of one of them is that Naya Naya has the ability to go go big, go wide and go mid. And all of that means you have an aggressive, a mid-range and a uh, controlling option of this deck. I think Naya will end up being a deck that rotates the type of Naya deck that you want. And I think that the version that we see in the 5.0 shows like Oh no no no! We can go a lot of directions, and I really like that. Yeah, I agree. 
Let's move on though to Rector's because that's the last 5-0 uh, deck list. It also, uh, when just doing a cursory glance at the challenge top eights, uh, it is the most top eighted deck across the two challenges. It's obviously a small amount, but it was uh, six of the 12, I'm sorry, six of the 16 decks, it looks to be. So Yeah, I, I think there's a small thing that we have to, a disclaimer. They sorry, do they do combine the artifact version with the mid the like the like pioneer version of the deck, um, and that is important to note. Uh, here's the thing, I I think that the one of the biggest surprises for me was actually that Shieldred was way 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 better than I expected in standard. I, I I think I think we talked about this card on the set review, even though it didn't make our set review. Can we talk about it in the pre-show? We talked about this card. You and you, me, and Abe talked about this card. I don't remember talking about this card. I remember talking about this card with Abe because there was a leech card, and every the leech card was right, but Shieldred. That's what I remember talking about. Oh, uh, I so I I I at least talked about this card with Abe. I did not expect this card to be as good as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it is easily the card that I've lost to the most in standard, and I want to explain why. When you're trying to do the stuff, so for example, uh, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, Chandra, well actually Chandra this doesn't apply to, but Fable of the Mirror Breaker specifically, when you're trying to play like a three color deck, whether it's Tenacious Underdog, whether it's with Fable of the Mirror Breaker, um, whether it's the Blood Tokens, like, holy crap is this card a beating. And they're actually, even if you look at this, like, look at the third place list from the 5-0s that we kind of didn't talk about, none of the removal spells straight up kill this card. Yeah, that's the thing. And I think that's something maybe we, we kind of glossed over that might be important for newer listeners, or newer to standard listeners, I should say. So one thing that's pretty common in internal formats is the best removal is the best removal and that's kind of just how things go and there'll be times where you play stuff that is different but for the most part you know you're going to play your paths your pushes your bolts that's kind of what we do our endings on holy heats in standard that's pretty different uh typically because the card pool is so much smaller you can find ways to exploit removal and that's something that shieldred does right now so if you don't have cards that answer shieldred which you know strangle doesn't do this Flame Best Bolt doesn't do this. Uh, Cut Down really doesn't do this, you know? And even Liliana a lot of times doesn't, you know, cleanly answer her. She just gets to sit around on the board. And so while she doesn't provide immediate value, which is something that you kind of normally want from a standard card, she does have this kind of I am hard to kill clause. And that has caught a lot of players off guard and has led to a lot of players playing a lot of different cards. Um, actually, just to answer, I can't remember the name. There's like a three mana deal five. Uh, to a creature that I have been playing a bunch, and actually just to kill Shieldred, uh, because she just so quickly took over. Yeah. So the the cards thing. that we care about here are Infernal Grasp, um, which you know was already one of the better removal spells. I'm I, there Something is a three minute. Minutes... Too is it's very good against Infernal Grasp. One of the big threats being an angel actually super matters for that. Game. Well, one of the things that that we'll see is the 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 five zero list that. We'll talk. Maybe we talk about this now. But like the five O list that was like the big titan of industry deck did not just five O. It also took second at a challenge. Mm-hmm. So the the big deck definitely helps. Um, there is it. I'm trying to find the card you're talking about. It's rending flame. Is the red card? Rending flame. Thank you. Yeah. 
one of the yeah, things is one of the things the black red deck is also doing. It also is playing four of. Uh, whether it's the the Grixis land or the Jund land, it also is doing that. This is where I wanted to talk about. Like, I I have a hard time believing. Um, Shoulder dies to the Jund charm. Um, I think one of the challenges actually has Jund in the top eight with four of that Jund charm. If I'm not mistaken. I uh, need to look. I've got Rakdos deck. I'll put up. Uh, yeah, Jund Wind Grace. Yeah, got fifteenth in the challenge. Uh, no, eighth in the challenge. It does. Oh, the second one. Yeah, yeah, my bad. It does. Oh, it only has two Rift Tears Charm. Uh, it's got two Rift Tears Charm, two, uh, uh, Infernal Grass, and then two Unleash Inferno. All of these cards killing Sheldred and allowing you to be the way bigger mid range deck. This deck plays. Uh, some it plays the four mana though. We should start with this card because we did not talk about it on the episode actually, um, and it has been all over the arena ladder. This card is one black, red, green legendary creature ava uh, cat avatar. It's a four five legendary creature. Uh, when it enters the battlefield or attacks, you may put a card, uh, put a land card from the graveyard onto the battlefield tapped under your control. If you discard a land card, you gain three life. You discard oh, oh, for one green. You could discard a land card to draw a card for red one, or for black two. You could discard a land card, and this card gains indestructible intent until end of turn and tap it. This card has been and that is soul of one grace for people yeah soul of one grace. This card has been insane. Actually, a huge pickup for the boomer Jund decks. This this is the most the 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 one that took the. The one that top aided obviously has uh, Voldarian Epicure in it. Not really a Boomer Gen card, but. Woo! Mason. <laughs> this is. This is just Jund. Yeah. And also, uh, this was also the one where Black Red did a little bit worse, so I'm kind of curious on your thoughts. Yeah, well, so, I mean, we. We didn't really talk about black red that much but you know we, it's kind of like the defining mid-range deck right we saw uh in the first challenge on saturday it put up four of the five top eights that it ends up happening over the weekend one of those was sacrifice deck but if you just look at the numbers and you're kind of building your deck for the next day it is basically that with mono black mid-range winning it so a lot of mid-range cards orzov mid-range came in second grix's mid-range with andy awkward it was just all mid-range decks and so we really saw a sort of uh, arms race that can happen and something that happens much more in standard where once again smaller card pool you're actually able to adjust to things if the tools are there and so we saw players really move into like hey i need to be able to beat these mid-range decks from yesterday and while we still saw a good amount of rakdos mid-range littering out the top uh 32 of the second standard challenge we saw a lot more decks that were preparing for mid-range battle so once again we saw that naya deck get second crushing it we saw two mono black mid-range decks each rocking four invoke despair which if you've played any of the Pioneer mid-range decks, you've learned that card is a mid-range killer in the matchup, just typically swing things so, so hard. We even saw a mono-white Angels deck, which was sounds like, oh, a fun, cool travel deck. It's actually just a bunch of bomby cards that just crush mid-range decks. And we saw this Jund Windgrace deck and one Rector's mid-range deck sneak in at 7th and 8th on two very good players, Namor Squats and Twinless Twin. Twinless Twin winning the NRG just a week ago. Um, and Namor Squats top eighting um so like two really good players playing mid-range decks and they were still able to sneak in and we see esper range ultimately take it down but 
the get to where you are about Jun and everything, it's like, wow, we need to kind of arms race each other. And that's what we're seeing happen in real time. And that's one of the cool parts about playing standard early when you have accounts like things with Mantraders traders and arena where buying the cards isn't a problem because things are escalating and we're seeing things like Lord Windrace win these mid-range mirrors, where it's just like this card gets me up a few things, maybe invalidates one of your kill spells, maybe make you double spell to kill this. And now I'm going to kind of take over from there. It's been impressive. Yeah, I agree. I want to talk about three things that you talked about. Do your thing. Yeah, I, I want to quickly touch back on something because I after our just the conversation we just had, it did am I crazy? Did did the same player take second in both challenges? Oh no no no, it did not. Okay. No. I was like, whoa. But what's funny is you mentioned that mid range war. Mm-hmm. And then that Naya deck did in fact second that challenge. So there's some scalability things happening. The thing that I think we should cover is Mono Black, which had a third, a fourth, a sixth, a tenth, and an eleventh mm-hmm. in that other one. And then we didn't actually mention Mono Red, which also has two shop sixteens. Mm-hmm. I Here's the thing. We haven't even mentioned an aggro deck. And if you're all going to try to scale each other out, right, you're going to get beat down. And that is the tug and pull that ends up happening in every magic format ever. Um, I, let's let's start with Esper, because I, I think that it is, I don't know, like the... Is, is it underrated? It felt underrated this weekend as people were talking about, like, the black mid-range decks, where, yeah, you know what? It lost its biggest card, in my opinion, in uh, the the one... Man, how do I forget magic card names? The one one that puts out counters on things? Um, oh, Luminarch Aspirant? Yeah. That, that, that actually was a bigger loss for that deck than I possibly could have expected. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Luminarch Aspirant's the white term of <laughs> that, that is interesting. Uh, for what it's worth, though, that deck gets to play Sheldred, that deck gets to play... The the one that won actually ended up playing a ton of expensive cards. Um, yeah, it, it, it really tried to fight the mid-range mirror. And yeah, talk, talk about that really quick. The Dawn Sky. Yeah, I mean, uh, so this is a little different than probably the deck list you would have expected to see a couple months ago, back when the Pro Tour first happened. Um, so this deck plays for AO the Dawn Sky, which is the white dragon from Kamigawa that when it dies, you put two counters on all your permanents or you return uh, up to four uh, mana value worth of cards to the battlefield. Um, and this deck looks to really abuse that. Then also plays Sarah Paragon, which we talked about in the set review. It has a lot of cheap things that you can replay with Sarah's Paragon. And it looks to kind of use these things a couple ways while still kind of wanting to get on the ground like the old Esper deck does with cards like Evolve, Sleeper, Use the Mana early. It has result, uh, Resolute Reinforcement, sorry about that, which is a Flash 1-1 one, one that makes a 1-1. One, one. So it kind of gets on the board still, has some things to play off of these cards and benefit from them. But really, it's just kind of trying to like present hey, I have a lot of strong answers. I have a lot of strong threats with Liliana, Kaito, and the Wandering Emperor. I'm going to just kind of take the board, do my best to control the board, and pressure you. And, you know, it has a lot of different mix of removal to make sure that happens as well. I think that we saw a new version of Standard 
where cutdown was not talked about enough and impacted the format way more than we expected. So the reason I think this is Gruel, Mono Red, and Esper. What is the best card in Esper? Griffin, right? It's like not close. <laughs> and then we see Mono Red and Gruel doing worse. And then we see so many decks with four cutdowns. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing we talked about too, right? With like removal and having to sidestep it and how important it is to sidestep removal and standard or try to make it awkward. I mean, one of the things that I think people talk about a lot, uh, we don't talk enough about, sorry, uh, they shouldn't standard is how do I make my cards awkward for my opponents and how do I make my deck and game plan awkward for my opponents? And in standard, it's just something we keep mentioning here, you can actually do that. And so playing things like cut down dodges is super, super important. And even, you know, playing your Rafines at a moment where maybe you Rafine after you've already played the Wandering Emperor, so you could tick up on your Rafine and get it so it's bigger than a cut down. Like that's those are things you need to start thinking about and start being cognitive of. Otherwise, you're going to lose to these cards. Um, so th that is something that we're kind of seeing. And it's, it's a good point. It's like, yeah, everyone kind of said, hey, this card's really strong. We're going to put this in our deck. Let's get them. And everyone who came with the aggro decks were not properly prepared for that card. Um, I, I have seen some people like in the gruel section and the green section play things like Tamio's Safekeeping to try to invalidate the removal. Uh, and that has been a fine answer to things, but it is not like a, a permanent solution. you know. And so it's going to be interesting to see how these decks will evolve and the creatures you can play because of it. Should we talk about kind of the next section of the show, right? Like the color, yeah. the colors of the decks, the color combos, and the mana bases? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so it, it's interesting. For the most part, two color decks uh, did the best across this weekend. There are, there are, you know, a good amount of three color decks. We saw Naya and Esper get first and second in the one challenge. Um, and we saw Mono Black did have that great performance, and specifically looking at the top eights. That, but we saw two color kind of what came in the drove. And Spencer, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about this because my kind of thought is that it's once again like, hey, let's make sure our mana works, to make sure our cards work, because our goal isn't to find the best deck possible in the format right now. Our goal is to win the standard challenge, right? We want to get some tickies, we want to get to the the mocks and stuff like that for a lot of players. And so it's like, let's do what's best for winning, maybe not what's best long-term. So what do you think? Do you think that maybe it is best long-term and that's just me being foolish? What, what do you think? I <laughs> I, I am usually not a, like, week one reactions guy. Like, I usually am like, this is just, this is, like, posturing, right? Like, we talked about, like, this giant Naya deck. We talked about this, uh, the Black Red deck. We talked about... I think Andy's deck is, like, the most close to, like, I don't know, like a week four deck that we'll see. Um, I, so, if the mana is bad, it's going to end up that, like, black red and white black are going to be really good. I don't believe the mana is bad. I, I believe that the mana will be good enough where Esper, Naya, Jund, and... Um, Grixis all have game. And because that's true, it will lead to two color decks being not white-black. I don't believe that deck competes. But it will be Gruul and Black-Red will have game because they have better mana. Well, actually, Green Green does not have better mana, but I'll talk about that in a second. Black-White black, does have better mana and will get to play most of the same game plans as the three color decks. Whereas Green Note will be so fast and also get access to like the things that Monterey gets to do 
while also getting protection spells, while also getting like a lot of stuff. And it will have a very different game plan for than the Naya deck or the Gen deck, right? So it will be like a legitimately different deck. The one color decks, I know that Mono Black did really well. I don't believe in it. I don't believe. I I I think that it got a lot of benefit from people not being prepared for a couple of cards. We've already talked about two of them in Shieldred and Liliana. I I don't believe in this mono block deck. Um, I do think that Mono Red had. I think it was three top sixteens. I think that it is actually really good. Um, if it was an SCG style event, I think that we would have seen more mono red. Um, so to me, like all of them have merit. Um, I don't know if you've been playing in the ladder or in events, Mason, but I actually have seen domain decks that are four plus color decks that are trying to beat on the decks from the challenge the last couple days. That I was like, uh, I I don't actually know how to beat this four color deck with what I was doing, and it makes me way more interested in something like black red or bl- black green or green red than it did make me interested in like Jund or Grixis, which is really weird. I did not expect to, because I don't even think the man is that good. Like, but they're just straight up playing like ten plus trilands. Yeah, I think that's a. The, you know, benefit of like you mentioned, the like they're trying to beat up on the mid range decks when people aren't pressuring you and they aren't punishing you for going third, as we like to joke with all the tap lands, right? Like you just don't do anything in the first two turns. Um, that is something you're allowed to get away with, and then those powerful domain cards are actually playable. Whereas, you know, if things like you're seeing a lot of gruel or mono red or aggressive base decks, it's really hard to did play. It, it didn't mono white have a top eight in the challenges? Mono white. No, it's mono white angel. It's not an aggro. Oh, it's not an aggro deck. That's right. That's right. You're right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a big grindy deck. It, it is like the white version of going mid range jundi. Uh, things like, you know, we didn't even mention it, but Sigarda's Savior. That card is really back breaking in these sort of like we're trying to trade cards. Where the cards are bringing Mecha Rafine's Informant and Spirited Companion and Guardian of New Badalia. Like those two drops are all really grindy, really good value. So uh, this is a very interesting deck. I will say Juju being tweeted about this and said it is the worst deck he's ever played. Um, and he probably would. It doesn't seem like he would do it again. But there's probably something to be said about, like, hey, these bigger go-long decks, right? They can really do something uh, in the format. So something to keep in mind with that. Um, but, yeah, it, it is interesting to see. I'm curious to see what's going to happen with the color combos, what's going to happen with standard evolving. I think that – I mean, they're definitely just – will be an aggro deck how that aggro deck will work and function is going to be interesting it might not be the best deck in the format but it it will be a player there are decks typically form even when they're not very good it can challenge the format i think a great example of this is the reclamation format from about a year and a half ago where we saw mono black which is not a playable looking deck and i think when people are going to go back and look at that deck in the far future they're like what's going on but it was very good for its time can I actually yeah. jump on this bandwagon? Because sure. I think that the mono black mid-range deck and the mono black aggro deck actually do like a Trunks and Goten fusion dance and end up being a playable aggro deck in this format. I think that like trying to fight the mid-range battle as mono black is 
set up for failure, but trying to be a mid-range aggro deck as mono black if you don't want to play something like Naya or Esper might actually be a really good plan. Mm. Yeah, it's it's curious. I'm surprised you're so low on this because they are kind of just already these like we always call it like this, but like absent aggro decks. They're like these mid-range aggressive decks. No, it is. That's that's her. the thing. It's like I I do believe in it. I just think that it's trying to go so like cards like concealed curtains or like the the mid-range cards in the deck not going to happen for you. Like it it's just not. I actually think like for MTGs from Sunday's challenge. This one looks like the the kind of deck that you're wanting it to be. Which which one? Fur MTG got sixth place with mono black mid range, which is much more. I it is mid rangey, but I think it's much more grindy uh, and able to be proactive with like four evolves. Yeah, four th this is a lot closer to what I'm talking about. So for for what it's worth, like I, as like a theory question, not like a here's what I believe is right. So cards like Invoke Despair, right? Really good as like a two of an aggressively slanted deck. This deck plays four of them. This is very clearly trying to be a mid-range deck. It obviously won the standard challenge. But, like, if you play, like, another Bank Buster and, like, play less lands, maybe play some one-drops that Lily... Uh, there's the one-drop... Is it a zombie? One of them comes back. The aggro deck actually plays... Let me pull it up really quick. Uh, this will have to get it out, but I believe... If you look at the aggro deck, it plays, yeah, this card. Uh, Cult Conscript is, uh, it, can't, it enters the battlefield tap. You can return it from your graveyard to the battlefield. Activate only if a non-skeleton creature died under your control this turn. Um, stuff like that. Like, being, like, actually Abzan midrange, uh, I actually think that sounds great for this deck. Like, the the version that you're talking about played none of the Heketra. Like that I, I do believe uh it and you know what, funnily enough, the version that I'm talking about, the one that got thirteenth by is Bulva? Wait a second. Is this Platinum Pro uh I'm actually not gonna guess the uh, docs people on the podcast, actually. Uh, I, I believe this is a platinum pro. Got thirteen plates on with a 4-1 in the challenge on September 3rd. Um, I think this deck does a lot of things that we talked about, right? It's got three cut down, two, or sorry, two cut down, three infernal grasp, two invoke despair. It does still play these shelters as two of, and then it's like just very clearly like a mono black aggressive deck. This is closer to what I see succeeding as like that mid rangey monocolor deck. Yeah, that, that is Tiago Saparito. I know you are. I wasn't trying to dox him. I was like, I'm pretty sure this it's, is Tiago. It's, it's, it's his Twitter handle. Okay. I mean. Well, all right. Well, then. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't sure. I was like, I'm pretty sure this is him. We've talked about doing a podcast together. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I, I actually really like Tiago's list. I think I think this is really strong. Plays less lands. Gets to play more things like one drops. This is closer to what I would see Mono Black looking like. Yeah. I don't think I agree with the Invoke Despair. Uh, I think I actually think this is good in an aggro deck too, because I think games go much longer in standard, and this card actually just reads as like stoke the flames, like like I think it often just. Oh, you're you're thinking you're always gonna hit five. Uh, I I think that you're gonna hit five a good amount of the time, especially when you sure. play cards like, 
the Frixian Rager version of the deck, and Evolve Sleeper, I believe, I, also So I actually too. didn't like that in the other version that you showed me. That makes it more mid-rangey to me. And, like, the fact that it also played 26 lands, like, all of that is not where I want to be. Like, I don't believe I have the mono-black cards to compete against Jund, Grixis, and Esper. So, my thoughts are that Evolve Sleeper is really strong, and it, it requires a lot of lands to enable, which makes you pushes you in this sort of bigger, aggressive mid-range deck. Inversely, too, like, I want to make sure I cast all my spells so that my Lilianas are strong. One of the bad things that can happen with you, Lily of the Veil, is you have her played early, and she is actually costing you resources instead of, like, um, if you can't double spell, she's often much worse because you and your opponent are going down, but now you're kind of taking board initiative or removing your opponent's initiative and then running them out of resources. So I kind of like having these lands. A huge part of this format that I actually want to bring up that this deck kind of suffer from is there are no creature lands in the format. And since there are no creature lands, there's something this deck would, like, one of these decks is playing four Field of Ruin. It would love to play, like, you know, four of, like, any even just crawling barons from like two years ago, right? Like it just would love a creature land that it could think it's mana into, and that is a problem. But I think that like Soren is like a good aggressive and mid-rangey card. Like I think that card creates a good amount of bodies unless you play through rafts and having a couple of those is fine. And same with children. Like you want to play children on four, especially right now. So I well, I'd much rather have twenty-five lands. I yeah, I think we're I think I was literally just saying I think that we're actually gonna converge in the middle here. Where, like, yeah. you become that Abzan. What's funny is you you, you mentioned Evolve Sleeper, which we didn't get to talk about yet. But, like, I don't think there's anything stopping the Jun deck from being Black Red, Evolved Sleeper, Wind Grace, plus, like, Riveteer's Charm, or plus Unleash the Infer... Like, nothing stops it from being that. And we see that from the mana bases, right? They're already going to play tap lands that are tap lands for the mana base. If 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 mono red and gruel don't put pressure on the format that pain lands can't be eight ofs, we're we're gonna see aggressively slanted mid range three color decks just like we did in the last three color format, whether it was Abzan um, or was it it or Mardu? Think I had to thank you to myself for remembering. Uh, take up those slots, right? Like that will be the progression of the format. If either uh, maybe I'll include mono black, mono black, mono red, and gruel don't pressure those pain lands or the yeah. tap lands. Like the tap lands will have the same problem. Yeah, we saw Will Pulliam actually get uh, fifth in the first challenge playing Rakdos mid range with four Evolve Sleeper in his deck, kind of taking a lower to the ground thing. We haven't talked about Evolve Sleeper before in the show, so I'll mention it real quick in case you haven't seen it yet. It's black for a creature human one one. It has black, Evolve Sleeper becomes a human cleric with base power toughness 2-2. Two, two. You can send a one in black, and if this creature is a cleric, put a death touch counter on it, and it becomes a Phyrexian human cleric with base power toughness 3-3, three, three. and then one black black. If this is a Phyrexian, put a plus one plus one counter on it, then draw a card, and you lose one life. So it's a pretty good mana sync, and actually like doubles as your two drop a lot of the time, where you're attacking for uh, like two isn't the greatest in the world um but it like it lets you fill in your curve and then it gives you a mana sink later so the 26 lands it's kind of that's what i mentioned earlier about needing to be like you need to play more lands for this card maybe 26 is too many but we're gonna figure all that stuff out also only one takanumi in the deck seems a little bit of a scaredy cat move you can play two if you have 26 lands it will not get you i think as much as getting your creature back 
will help. Regardless, that's kind of a neither here nor there moment. It is kind of interesting to sort of see like what's going to happen, like much mentioned with those decks. And I think that kind of moves us on to like what are we interested in exploring? And I'll, I'll take things here. The Naya deck that I want to say Yuya played, but that's wrong when I say it out loud. Someone played a Naya deck that was mid ranging in the last format that was almost all new cards at the last Pro Tour. It was like the. Uh, it, you, is it. It's not you. Yeah, you is banned. Yeah, I knew that sounded wrong. I can't. I can't remember. I. I don't even think it's a Japanese player to be honest. I think it's just a player. I know what deck you're talking about. I think I have it on arena. I. I think I actually have this deck on arena. I actually. Whatever. This is why we don't credit people with decks. It's yeah. too much work on the podcast. <laughs> we don't get deck credits anymore. It's gone. Deal with it. No, it's not true. Uh, it's gone. Anyways, uh, th- that that's our deck. So it's like. Naya mid-ranging cards uh, that, that are aggressively slanted, sort of similar to like the idea of the black deck, where like, hey, we can grind, we have a couple topping cards. That deck has Invoke Despair. I kind of want to have the dragon that Spencer talked about, whose name I can't remember now in the moment, but it's Ward 2, uh, the Naya Dragon. Oh, wow. That sounds so sick. I it is the the one the it's the it is the Elder Dragon. Uh, I don't. Is that remember. just names of the Elder Dragon or something? Like no, that? Yeah, man. I, I haven't crafted it yet on Arena because I spent a lot of my Arena time playing aggressive, proactive monocolored decks to be good on my rare, my rare wild cards. It's is it Rith? I I literally don't. If I saw the card, the art, I might know. I'm, I'm pulling up Arena right now, trying to find it. Honestly, it but it's got to be Rith. I actually have no doubt. Rith MTG DMU. Yeah, it is Rith. Yes, it's Li- Rith Liberated Primeval is the card you're talking about. Rith Liberated Primeval, yeah. So that card, interested in doing some kind of Naya stuff with that. I am also interested in the Gruul decks. I know we keep talking about them, and they haven't shown up that much. There are a lot of really strong Gruul cards, um, and it's interesting, like, will it be base red, splash green, maybe a little bit of both. That's unclear at the moment, but things like Ulvenwald Oddity are very, very strong, and make cards like Cut Down have this awkwardness as they get drawn to the game and allow you to have some counterplay there. So I'm pretty interested in exploring those two types of things. I think I'm going to finally craft some cards and get into the thick of it uh, when it comes to that. But that's kind of where I'm at. What about you? I was thinking into the thick of it in my head. So mm. uh, I was distracted. Uh, I I am interested in exactly two things. Aggressively slanted midrange decks and to me, that is two color decks that are just straight up two color mid range decks that either are that or splash a color. I think that, for example, black, white, mid range that forces its mana into having blue on turn three. Good deck. I think that Naya, being a green red or white green deck that forces itself to have certain turns of mana. I think that mana bases were really bad week one. Um, if I looked at all these mana bases, there were a lot of changes that I would make. It makes me think that, like, okay, we're, one, not punishing mana bases really well. We see that from the... Other than Monoblock. I think Monoblock actually did a really good job of punishing mana bases. Um, so to me, that's step one. And then step two is actually, like, is there a way to sidestep this stuff? Um... I'm not. I'm not sure that there is. I'm actually a little worried about this. Um, I don't see like a blue black, blue white Esper, or 
Grixis control deck that really sidesteps all this. The only sidestepping we saw was from Naya, and I, I don't, I don't know that I believe in that. Um, so I would be interested in that. I guess the third one would be really aggressive decks like, um, actually, like like Gruel actually would be really interesting to me. I I have a hard time as somebody that's tried to build a lot of mana bases so far. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna back up. If I can find a way to make blue decks, like blue-red decks, have card advantage while presenting clocks, whether with like a blue-red spells deck, that would be a way to sidestep it. Um, I played a lot of blue-white Delver this week, talking about all the cards that we talked about on the podcast. I That card, that deck missed card advantage. I played blue-red Delver, that deck missed card advantage. I think that it's possible Delver is not the answer, but that a spells deck is the answer. I would be interested in that. So, yeah, that's very interesting. I should just go. Well, that is going to do it for the main topic of this week on Standard Center. Was pretty interesting. A lot going on there. Um, it's going to be curious to see how that format develops while I check back in here in a couple of weeks, just to kind of see what happens with the mid-range mirrors, aggressive decks, mana bases. It's going to be interesting. One thing that we have seen in the past is that typically something happens first week then we see a little bit of the second week something kind of gets figured out as the best and then often that kind of dominates the conversation for a few weeks and then in the past we had pro tours or mythic championships that would come and sort of define the metagame and often would rewrite it or refine it um we're not going to have that with this standard format at all not only that the standard format also only has about 60 days left before it, it rotates which is a crazy kind of place to be to be very attitude not rotates well sorry yeah yeah sorry yeah before uh when brothers war comes out this all changes and that happens in about actually less than 60 days it's about 50 so uh that's when the rc happens too which is going to be interesting so i'm curious going to see what happens with this same format um but it is going to be exciting and something we're going to keep a tab on especially with the rc in anaheim being standard it's going to be interesting to see happen there. But let's move on to our Patreon question. If you want to support the show, you go to patreon.com slash ccmtg. It's a great way to support the show. Um, one of the perks of that is you get access to the Discord. You get a shout out earlier that we talked about. And you get to ask questions here, which we answer each and every week on the show. And we will be doing a mailbag episode here soon. So we're going to have a bunch of those in the patrons. It's going to be exciting. Chase asks, what do you do when you feel like you're just spinning your wheels in a format and not making the progress you want to make. Spencer, would you like to start on this one? I have gone through this myself and I found working with others and understanding and asking really tough questions about yourself was actually the way to overcome this hurdle. And you're not going to like the answers and being willing to be vulnerable is the way to overcome this. Yeah. That's a really good answer. I think other thing that I might say when it comes to this is, I try to approach things from a different angle. So like when talking about it specifically like a format, right? Like they're like Spencer just mentioned, there's like plateauing and hitting these walls and everything when it comes to general improvement and general things in magic. That uh, is something that I think that's a really good answer for. But when you think about specific formats, maybe and you're having a harder time with something like standard or modern or pioneer. I find it really good just to try to reframe your entire perspective on it and your entire approach to it. So like a good example of this is like, 
Okay, I'm really, really disliking Pioneer. I am tired of playing Mono Green Mirrors. I'm tired of playing Mono Green. I'm tired of trying to beat it by going under it. How, like, and I feel like the format's still, like, how am I going to fix this and make some progress? And it's like, okay, what can I do that's completely different? And exploring things like Jeskai Ascendancy Combo is, like, completely different than that sort of thing and uh, is a great way to sort of get a new perspective on the format and see if there's something you're missing. I think another good thing, like Spencer mentioned, going out there and challenging your ideas, uh, I think is really good. I think if you can't defend as to why your idea is your idea, it's often pretty like on shaky ground. Or there's some part of it that maybe you understand internally. They're having trouble explaining out loud. And being able to, I think, explain things out loud and teach people is often a really good sign of understanding of something. Not always 100%. It doesn't mean that if you can't do that, you can't be really good. Oh, I can, I, can, I actually, can I actually disagree with that? Well, I, I, I think... I agree with you and then disagree with the next sentence you said. Uh, this is actually... When I talked about earlier in my Always Improving segment about something that Magic taught me about my job. Um, part, of, part of my job is what's called the problem discovery cycle where my part of my job is defining the problem we're trying to solve with software. This is true in magic. Like if you cannot articulate the problem a card solves or a sideboard plan solves or your deck solves within a format, why are you doing it? If even if you're it's like the having a plan model, right? With that LSV and Michael Hinderocker talked about where the importance of having a plan is actually more important than the plan you have. If you can't define to somebody why you're doing something, you don't know why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that, what Mason just said, is one of the number one keys to solving this problem. Yeah. Yeah, what I was going to say there, just to wrap it up there, is that uh, players like Corey Baumeister, who are very good, sometimes you ask Corey why he did something, or why he is doing something, and he gives you an answer that is just nonsensical at times. And I love Corey; he's a friend, but uh, it, it is, you know, I, I know Corey knows this, and uh, it, you know, and it's just a thing where he knows this stuff, I should say. And it's just a thing where sometimes people aren't super great at that, and it's fine. That's something you have to work on, and you need to improve at. Um, just kind of, you know, make a push to do that sort of thing and work on that. And being able to explain it so that when you're when you do have conversations with your friend or Spencer or someone who's coaching you, you're able to give these answers. And the better answers you give, the more clarity those people will be able to attack, challenge, and maybe reinforce. I think challenging micro decisions often leads to what you're talking about, right? Where like, why did you do this micro thing? Can be hard and nebulous. But if you can't answer the macro questions, you have an underlying problem, right? Where mm-hmm. What you're talking about with with Corey, I think that's true of all of us, right? Like sometimes we'll do something at a, at a micro level. We're like, listen, I inherently know this is why, like, this is what I would do. If we try to zoom out, I would need way more context to answer this question, and that's hard. Um, but at a macro level, I think you need to do your best to be able to answer macro level questions. Awesome. Great. Well, uh, the other way you can get your question answered on the show is going to youtube.com slash she seems to do like I mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, you can ask a question, leave a comment there or ask a question on the last episode we read here. 
We had one this week from Obese that says Kaldish has been gone. Kaldheim will rotate though. Winky face. Thank you I, so much. I love this. This is how you get feedback. It's like Mason, you said something wrong on the podcast. This person corrected you and they did it with like a winky face. Like they were very clear, like, hey, obviously like you just misspoke, but I, I wanted to give the feedback to the listeners. This is this is how you always improve, right? Like I don't know. I, I really liked this comment. I felt like as somebody that makes like a lot of typos on Twitter, I wish people did this type of I don't know, responses to me. That's going to do it for this week's episode of CCMTG. Thank you all so much for coming out. Make sure to check out the rest of the network. You want to check out Common Knowledge. is a popper podcast all about that, everything going on there. And then you want to check out Drafting Archetypes with Sam Black, all limited all the time with Dominic and I am just coming out. There's going to be some exciting episodes going over all the different archetypes in that. I, for one, am looking forward to the Defenders deck episode, Spencer. That is the deck to beat right now, baby. You got to beat those Defender decks and draft. The episode comes out tomorrow is the time of the recording. It will probably come out before this podcast. There you go. That's awesome. Make sure to like, subscribe, and leave reviews and comments. Those are ways to really help us. If you want to help support the show and you like it, that's a great way to do it without having any financial commitment. Helps us a lot. If you recommend it to your friends, if you think there might be something that they could get from the episodes. And Spencer, if someone wants to find you, where can they go? Find me at Spencer13H on Twitter if you want to check out the other podcasts that I do. I actually had to do an always improving cut of a podcast on Smash Through. We did not release an episode we recorded. We didn't think it was good enough. So Smash Through is a podcast that is dedicated to helping people improve at life uh, and Smash, just like this one that I do with former co-host of the show, Matt Kling. And then I also do a bi-weekly podcast with Patty BMTG. Shout out to him. Shout out to my other teammate, Paul, who... Uh, played each other in the finals of the standard RCQ this weekend. Paul taking it down. Patty B playing my, playing my 75 um, and getting a little unlucky after talking to both of them. It, it was uh, really cool to see these two uh, kind of challenge this not great event that was scheduled. So uh, shout out to them. Uh, shout out to The Cut. And yeah, you can find me on those two podcasts as well as every week or sorry, every month on game grid lehigh coverage what about you mason find me each and every week here on the show you can find me over at card kingdom writing articles this week it should all be about standard which is pretty exciting you can check me over at twitch.tv slash the mason clark for the streaming stuff and you can find me over at twitter at mason e clark i'll be there ready for some memes thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of ccmg and we'll see y'all next week for another episode